Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, aka RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Stuart Barnes is a poet from Hobart. His first book, Glass Houses, won the 2015 Arts Queensland Thomas Shapecott Poetry Prize, was commended for the 2016 Anne Alder Award, and shortlisted for the 2017 Mary Gilmore. Cerebus Watches Eros was nominated for the 2020 Pushcart Prize. Offworld Garzel was shortlisted for the 2020 Montreal International Poetry Prize. And Sistina after B. Carlisle won the 2021-22 Gwen Harwood Poetry Prize. Welcome to the show, Stu. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Now, uh, on our show, we always have the same opening question, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, how has your work influenced your identity? Okay. I think my work and my identity uh, are inseparable and they feed into each other. When I talk about my identity, I, I think back to childhood. The first thing I think of is um, actually of my parents who were voracious readers and still are. I was very young when I started reading. At five, I realised that I wanted to be a writer. When I was 11, Australian poet Gwen Harwood befriended me at church. And uh, when she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said, I, I, I want to be a writer. And she said, you're going to be a poet. And uh, I had no idea what that I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, it resonated, and I think I might have started identifying as a poet at that moment. Wow. Every week after church, Gwen would give me a book of poetry from the church's op shop to take home. Uh, so I was engaging with poetry at quite a young age, and also writing things that weren't poems, but they were they were pieces that uh, you know they weren't written as prose, mm. line breaks and and slivers of of um, of text. Uh, on pages, and I, I was sort of making my own books. And not long after that, I wrote a novella over a, a, one, one summer holiday. So yeah, so this this idea of of the relationship between identity and and, and work was sort of there for I wouldn't say from the beginning, although perhaps it was, but certainly from a very uh, early age. Now looking back, I realise how powerful it is deciding what and or who you are um, in terms of not only your identity but your work and knowing and doing what you want to do. Regarding sexuality, I identify as mostly gay, sometimes queer. Over the years, uh, experiences of homophobia and sexual violence and shame about both have had an impact on my identity and my work. It's taken me a very long time to identify proudly and loudly as a gay slash queer man despite having actually uh, come out or been outed at, at 17, you know. And, and for many years, people have known that I am gay, but to actually be able to sort of publicly identify as a even privately identify as a gay man as well and be comfortable and, and just to sort of 
sit with that. So it's also taken me a very long time to publish poems around those topics around uh, identity and sexual violence. And for decades, I actually resisted identifying as gay slash queer poet Stuart Barnes. And it might sound a little silly, but at, at some moments sort of, I mean, I appreciate every event I've been a part of over the years at festivals, but found that I was sometimes only asked onto queer only events. And uh, my, my my issue at those times wasn't with the events. I, I realised it was with my discomfort at, I suppose, the label or at my not wanting to identify or be identified as as a gay and or queer poet. I just wanted to be poet Stuart Barnes or yeah. simply Stuart Barnes. Regarding work and identity further, I think my earlier work was was quite opaque and my later work is quite transparent. I think that's because I've uh, been able to process trauma and because I'm uh, I'm a happier person and, and also because I uh, feel that there's no sort of secrecy anymore around my identity. So therefore, there doesn't need to be any secrecy in any expression in my work. So they're, they're always feeding into each other, work and identity. Um, some people in Auslit and even some people in my own family don't approve of some of the things I write about, but many people inspire me, including poet Natalie Harkin, who says, speak loud, speak unsettling things and be dangerous. And I, I love that quote. And uh, everyone should read Natalie's work. She's absolutely brilliant and a wonderful human being too. It's interesting, you know, and important for me to point out that, you know, my the difficult experiences I've had, for example, of homophobia and sexual violence, writing about them thinking about them, meditating on them. It's enabled me to cultivate the grit that I've needed to not only be a human being, but also to be able to write more about those experiences and and create poems about those experiences as opposed to simply, you know, uh, journal entries, which, you know, I, I have done over the years, but I've wanted to kind of craft something around those experiences and to try to write beautifully about those experiences mm. and, and try to try to connect with others through those experiences. Perhaps the last thing I'd like to say about work and identity is, is actually uh, it's a snippet of um, what the American poet Kim Adonizio has said about the creative process. And she says, if you nurture it, it will expand and it will nurture you in return. It is a kind of salvation if you can truly tap into the creative process, you know it's there all the time and then you probably don't need saving. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, um, Kim's encapsulated. <laughs> really, I could have just used that quote <laughs> to respond to, you, <laughs> to your question. No, not at all. But I, but I, think it's, uh, I think it's a wonderful way of looking at the interaction or that inseparableness of, uh, of identity and work. Thank you so much. And... Uh, we were talking before we hit record, and yeah, I just want to reiterate. Um, thank you for for sharing your stories, uh, you know, and and the poems are beautiful. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, they really, really are, and I think they need to be out there in the world, one thousand percent. And it is something, um, particularly with gay men, that isn't really spoken about much and what you're doing is really important and it means a lot to survivors out there. So thank you very much. Thank you.
Now, I am going to introduce your new poetry collection, Like to the Lark. Uh, so I'm going to read the blur. So buckle in. Right. <laughs> like to the Lark is Stuart Barnes' poetic back to mind, an accumulation of lifetime fascinations with music and sound, form and transformation, beginning with an apparition of a doomed world brooding over itself and ending with a cavealing glow. This long-awaited second collection from the winner of the 2015 Arts Queensland Thomas Shapcock Poetry Prize plunges, what a plunge, what a lark, into seas, scoots across countries and hurdles towards space. Guzzle shapeshifts into pantom, duplex, sonnet, sestina, terminal and more, plus two new forms invented by Barnes, terse set and flashbang. As influenced by popular culture as they are by classical mythology, these poems by turns, playful, serious, tender, bold, surprising and witty, are fearless in their explorations of rape, illness, death, remembrance, ecology, love and joy. While fog and grief preen over a serodiscordant gay couple, a phoenix-like royal panacea declares my breath is rooted in kindness, forged from and framed by conversations with Nick Drake, Gwen Harwood, Sylvia Plath, Shakespeare, Robert Smith, and others. Barnes' poems sparkle with vivid lyricism and wild inventiveness and summon great care for the way they tend and transmute trauma and illuminate the resilience of human and not human. So congratulations to you on your collection. Uh, Thank you, Rob. For me, I think it's definitely a book for life, being able to dip in and out and discover uh, new poems that resonate at a time and place in your life. And that is incredibly special, I think. And I was hoping for our listeners that we could start off with a reading from one of your poems from Light. Thanks. I'd love to. Uh, so um, this poem is, it's an accumulation of experiences of the Grinder app. The, uh, many of the ideas that were poured into the poem had actually been in my in my head for a very long time, and the poem actually came out very quickly as it is on the page. It's also about having, over the years, been, been called a bad gay many times, <laughs> <laughs> which is a phrase I'm still trying to understand. <laughs> it's about my experiences of being a bad gay in central Queensland in Rockhampton where I've lived. Uh, so I'll, I'll read the poem. Thank you. Right. How to be a good gay in a small town for Lee Backhouse. Install the one star black and yellow app. Gang up with John the Practice at Queens Park, Park Avenue. Don't be quick-witted. Snap Orion's head off. Snuff the new moon's spark. Don't rant and rave. The hunts of Kodiak while cramming gulping bulbs with bitter meth or bumping K from tits in Zodiac. Don't spell out why John mustn't say Macbeth inside the pill beam. Swill your beam and cokes with equal swag. Get off on shots of butch, high-five each other, whack the butt of jokes, the fag who looks like old you squeaking putch, then stagger to the jagged light without a glint of camp, a hint of standing out. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly, uh, and that last line is such a, yeah, sums up a lot of experience uh, with that whole straight acting kind of, mm. yeah, wow. Mm, mm, absolutely. And, and that's, been, um, uh, that's, that's been my experience of, of a lot of gay guys who were born in central Queensland and who've 
lived here their entire lives. There's this belief that they have to act a certain way and that if mm. you don't act that way, then you're ostracised. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you're not allowed to be camp. You're not allowed to, you know, uh, talk about serious things like uh, bear hunting in Kodiak, um, for example. And, yeah, there there is a club here called uh, Zodiac, which is actually a strip club where um, I know gay guys who go there uh, to sort of uh, maintain the illusion of being straight. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now... Stu, for some readers, approaching poetry can feel a bit like wine in that they feel like they need assumed knowledge uh, before being able to partake. For example, to experience a poem, um, should it always be read aloud? What is your advice for those who might be afraid to try poetry or feel like there is a barrier or exclusion based on literary experience to date? Yeah, thanks, Rob. This was a really interesting question. And you know, when, when, when you first asked this question, I, I went sort of travelled back in time to my own experiences of poetry at, at, at middle school and high school and university, and, and which sort of brings me to my first point, which is I think, I think high school, college and university are, are regularly and either fairly un, or unfairly, that's up for other, that's for other people to decide, you know, uh, blamed for ruining poetry for people. Um, and yeah. I think I, I think perhaps uh, it's important to forget those experiences. So uh, to arrive at reading poetry with no preconceived ideas, right? Um, in, in the same way that we might, if we haven't read a review about a novel, or if we've only read a small blurb about a collection of short stories, we are arriving at, at those two things with with perhaps not no preconceived ideas, but a small amount. So, you know, I, I'd ask readers to sort of come to poetry with an open mind. Uh, expanding on that to to be open-minded to poetry's language, which is very different to the language of the short story mm. and the novel also, and also to the language of, of memoir uh, and essay and other non-fiction. Reading poetry knowing that there's no one interpretation and that there's no right or wrong interpretation. Right, I think is is key. I've met a number of people over the years who who have said, "I don't, you know, uh, I don't understand this poem." And I'll, I'll talk about understanding in a moment. Mm. Uh, but they've also said, you know, "Oh, my interpretation of that poem is is wrong, so I'm giving up." And I, I will always say to those people, "There's no right or wrong way to understand a poem, nor is there one interpretation." Uh, as I find there's no right or wrong way to interpret song lyrics, and I'll speak about song lyrics in a moment as well. I was just going to ask you that. So Yeah, 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 right. yeah jump, yeah. jump in, please. thinking when you were saying that, that yeah, I was wondering if that was, because everyone obviously listens to music, has their mm. favourite song and it means something to them, which mm. is quite deeply personal. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. I mean, and uh, as we know, you know, one, one song can have a completely different personal meaning to to another person. While, while we're talking about songs, I, I actually, uh, I'd like to mention one song in particular, and mm. it's a song by The Cure who I will always talk about because I love The Cure. Yeah. Uh, but the, <laughs> the song is Let's Go to Bed, which came out in 82, oh, and yeah. uh, eight years after it was released, Robert Smith said of its lyrics, they're a nonsense set of words to complement what I then considered to be a hideous piece of commercial pap. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's brilliant. <laughs> it is just, you know, it, it's a brilliant quote. And what Smith wanted to do, not only musically, but lyrically with Let's Go to Bed was, he said, you know, well, everybody is singing about Let's Go to Bed and Have Sex. So I'm going to be really overt about it, but I'm also going to make it completely nonsensical. And <laughs> I, I suppose my, my question to to readers, uh, sorry, to, well, to readers and listeners uh, out there and to readers of poetry or people who might be new to poetry is, is I think it's important to think about why we revere a song that uh, is comprised of a nonsense set of words, mm. but we fear a poem that is perceived to be comprised of a nonsense set of words. You know, it, it's astonishing how you know, Let's Go to Bed is one of the most well-known cures, but it's not a particularly cohesive lyrically. And in the same way, a poem can be a let's go to bed. So yeah. I, I'd encourage people to think of poems as uh, as song lyric and also encourage them to think of a poem as a song lyric, but also to think of to think of a poem as something that we, we don't have to understand entirely. Perhaps we can um, perhaps we can just enjoy the poem's moods and feelings and textures in the same way that we enjoy a song lyrics, moods and, and feelings and textures. I know that songs songs are different because they have music and the music, you know, melody is, is an amazing thing. And, and with, with poetry, people might argue, well, there's no melody there, but, you know, poetry is actually quite musical and poetic forms such as the sonnet and the villanelle, the, the sonnet in Italian is little song. So should it be listeners or readers say it out loud? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think, for example, when I'm when I'm writing and editing my own poetry, I read it on the page, but I also read it aloud, and it's a, it's a wonderful way of picking up. Well, first of all, any sort of uh, errors, but also the sound and the music of the poem. And reading a poem aloud surprisingly enables the poem to be better understood. So, as as you're creating the poem, like that's what you're working with that on the page but also that when it is spoken it has that other resonance like that's part of that dimension of that poem is that right that's right that's right um sylvia plash once said of her aerial poems which were uh, she published a collection aerial and uh she said you know if there's anything these poems have in common they're written for the uh for the eye and the ear yeah. and she read those poems aloud as she was writing those poems, and there are wonderful recordings of many of the uh, aerial poems. Oh, wow. Um, and, and you hear the music in those poems. And for me, poetry and music are inseparable in the same way that work and identity are inseparable. I, I, think, it's, I think it's really important to read a poem multiple times, yeah. and I think poems reveal their mysteries over days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years, you will get something new out of that poem. You know, it, it, this happens to me with poets I've been reading for decades. I'll have a yeah. an aha moment. But yes, I think reading reading poetry aloud is, is really important. And it's fun too, you know. I mean, reading poetry shouldn't be laborious. It should be pleasurable. It should be fun. I hope it will be. I hope it can be for, for people who are unfamiliar or perhaps reticent to to jump into the into the poetry pond. So is it like, you know, with any, you know, the emotional connection is what they should be looking for, like that's the most important. So they've got a collection of poems, you know, they scroll through and then there might be one that, that goes, oh, wow, you know, there's something about this. I don't know. Maybe they don't know what it is, but there's something that really resonates. Is that, 
Definitely. Um, yes. Uh, and as you said, they may not immediately be aware of what of what that resonance is or, or what's caused that that particular uh, feeling or sensation. You know, the magical thing about poetry is that it, or, or any writing, is that it has caused that that feeling or sensation. And uh, I'd encourage readers who do experience that with that particular piece to to go back to that piece. I, I, I'm not a fan of study and writing poetry is, I didn't particularly enjoy university. I don't particularly enjoy studying, but I love learning and writing poetry for me as a way of learning many, many new things. Yeah, I, I think it's important to come back and sort of sit with that, that those sensations or those feelings that 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 poem has has uh, has aroused, and um, you know, I, I don't think it's important to overanalyze or even necessarily analyze, but just be aware of of how that that's made you feel and and be conscious of it, and uh, that that might be a way into other poems that seem opaque as well. You know, when, when somebody has that sort of uh, connection with that poem, it might be a doorway to other poems that uh, were previously. Uh, opaque or impenetrable. That's great. Perhaps a final thought on how listeners can approach poetry. And, and actually, this this relates to your last question, is to to think of poems perhaps as impressionistic, not realist. Right. Um, you know, I, I was looking at some impressionistic paintings recently, and I thought if going to be um, depicted as a... If a poem, would, would it be a painting, it would probably be an impressionistic painting. That's how I approach poetry. I... I look at it as a whole, but I also look at it as line by line and then at each word in the line. Um, so that's that's another way that people can come to poetry as well. You know, there may be a line or even not a line, but a phrase within a line in the whole poem that makes sense or resonates. Yeah. But the whole thing doesn't. And and that's OK. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think... Um, I think we have a tendency to be self-critical if we don't understand something entirely, and it's okay to not understand something entirely. And I found with poetry, uh, as I said before, you know, there are some poems that are still revealing their mysteries to me decades after I first read them. I, I, I know that that happens with um, with other readers of poetry and with other poets also. Yeah, fantastic. So it's not a cryptic crossword. <laughs> No, no. I mean, no. unless you like cryptic crosswords, unless you like you know, cryptic crosswords, that is. Yeah. Um. I'm, might I read a poem, Rob? Which I might... would love. I would love that. Absolutely. Thank you. It, it, it might also tie in with what we're talking about here. Sure. Um. I'll, I'll just give a, a brief background to this poem. It might help readers into not only this poem but other poems. This poem is called "At Seven Mile Beach." It was written for a friend who died of AIDS-related illnesses. And he actually gifted me Timothy Conagrave's memoir, Holding the Man, about a year before he was diagnosed with AIDS. The particular form I've used to write the poem in is called a tritina. And the end words of each line are holding the man, which is the title of the Conagrave memoir. <clears throat> so there can be clues in poems, which can also uh, expand understanding. So I'll, I'll read the poem. So with a nod to Timothy Conagrave at Seven Mile Beach. At Seven Mile Beach, I walked between you and the sea, holding in one hand a piece of driftwood, in the other a loop of your blue jean. A man studied us as if we were subhuman. God, I idolised your never holding back. Twenty-four years later, you packed the mourners in, but I couldn't control the body's salt and water. Superhuman holding off was my noted season. Holding on, holding on, yours, 
live protein. Thank you very much. I, I that was yeah one of my first favourites in in the collection, and just to hear you read it, that's yeah incredible. Thank you. Thank Stuart. you. Because I didn't realise. Um, so again, what we were just talking about that that holding the man was within the poem, but now mm. now that I know that, so that's yeah, great new discovery. Yes, and it's fun playing with those uh, what are called end words as well. So the first stanza, the first set of lines in the poem, end with the words "holding the man." In the next stanza, man becomes subhuman or subhuman and holding becomes never holding in the third stanza man becomes superhuman superhuman and in the last stanza it becomes protean man uh, because this man was he was a protean man he was yeah he was capable of anything and he was yeah an amazing human being was very successful at anything he put his mind to yeah mm. so it, it, it's fun playing around with language yeah, and and that can also uh, open doors to understanding when re- with reading poetry too, uh, you know, uh, perceiving those patterns in words or punning wordplay yeah. can expand understanding of a poem. And I I heard you mention on a podcast on Upswell, your publisher's website, uh, where you were talking about breaking words over lines or within a line. Mm. Uh, which features in, in Light to the Lark. Um, so fracture and brokenness and repair, which I loved. But can you please tell our listeners uh, more about that? Sure. So I'll actually use it Seven Mile Beach as an yeah, example perfect. because there is a, a, a word broken over the line and it's never holding back. Uh, never holding ends one line and then back is on the other line. So when you have that breaking over the line, it it invites surprise into the poem, into those lines, and you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's coming on the next line. I find that is uh, it's exciting not only to, to write a poem, it's fun to write a poem in that way, but it's also exciting to read a poem in that way because you can almost read two lines differently. Yeah. You read one line as it ends, but then you're also reading the next line as, as it begins. So, and, and a way of adding a bit of extra surprise in there is the, the phrase or, or the word group never holding back has hyphens between never holding and holding back. If you, I'm just mentioning this to sort of help with uh, listeners and readers, mm. a, a way of uh, increasing the surprise, I suppose, is not, not having the hyphen at the end of the line but having it at the beginning of the next line so then it's almost as if never holding is the complete unit Uh, but it's not until you start the next line that you realize never holding back is the complete unit there i mean poets use this breakage uh, not only for surprise but for resonance uh, for emotional impact for pause reflection that sort of answer oh that's fantastic yeah certainly for myself i love poetry but i don't read it near enough and it's like for me going to the theater i always enjoy it when i'm there but i don't get around so to actually hear that and hear you speak about the intent behind how each line is and how you um as a poet work that in so then the reader has that experience i think is yeah, it's remarkable. Thank you. I mean, uh, there are also other ways. Um, there's another poem in the book called Sestina Love, where I actually break words and phrases over the line. It's it's in my poem, The Morning Sog, which I'll read if that's okay. Uh, but but 
the word that breaks over the line is inclined. So the line in particular ends with in, and then the new line begins with hyphen clined. So the phrase that leads up is even to rusty furrows, it's in. So in could be interpreted as, you know, cool or hip or fashionable. And it's not until you read the next line that you actually know what the word is. So the idea of of fracture and breakage and repair there is, you know, can can occur within a word as well, which invites, you know, even greater surprise into that, not only into that word, but the phrase and the poem building up around that. Excellent. Would we be able to hear that poem, please? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. The Morning Fog. The morning fog is sweetest at the Tropic of Capricorn, the colour of lemon chiffon cake, and just as delicate. It might upspring with a ringing of hands. It might upspring with a single step. It's capable of taking itself to the streets, unblighted by African tulip trees' jewels. The palms look as if they're about to take flight. Vehicles steal appeals to the atmosphere. We, too, are aerial now. We needn't be momentarily. Where does it end? Where does it upspring, this enlightening thing unfurling its whirls? Even to rusty furrows, it's inclined to breathe. Subtleties emerge as if soaked in developer, but slower. Though we look before and after and pine for what is not, we alight on the eye of Horsefield's bushlark, widening to we, its rites of day and nighttime melody and mimicry. And I ask you, crave nothing save the song, and wing-heeled being as brightness wheels around them. Fantastic. That's <laughs> just, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you very, very much. And now we have Joe from Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. Hi, Joe. Happy New Year. Hello, Rob. Happy New Year to you too. And so what book do you have for us? today joe today i've got this wonderful book it's iris by fiona kelly mcgregor it's ostensibly about a real world figure called iris weber but she's fictionalized it and made this wonderful story about 1930s sydney in the sly grog era and it's full of prostitutes and thieves and scammers Fantastic. And so what, is it literary fiction? Uh... I guess you'd call it literary fiction, but it's also historical fiction. Yeah. Um, there's known Sydney underworld figures in there like Tilly Devine and Kate Lee. There's a lot of really, really super strong women in this book and they're amazing women, you know, they're running brothels and organised crime. But there's, there's also one of the first police detectives in Sydney, uh, Lillian Armfield, who's like the nemesis of the organised crime bosses. So there's lots and lots of strong women in here and there's women who love women in here but don't know how to express it who do you think it would appeal to um readers all readers um readers of historical fiction yeah this this would appeal to a lot of people um yeah i i can't see (laughs) couldn't knock anyone out it's got everything it's got action and adventure and incredible people and history thrown in as you're reading it did you yourself recognize some of the historical uh events that were going on at that time uh, be- well, because it's 1930s Sydney, I don't, I haven't known much about that era. So it was really interesting to read about it and to 
hear about what was legal and what wasn't and people could get picked up for cross-dressing. It, it might not have been an illegal crime as such. They picked people up for vagrancy and things. And there's a lot of male violence in it as well. It's a, a really violent world that everyone's involved in. Um, so the women who run the brothels have a, a fella who kind of looks out for them. They're all accountable to someone or to some man in the background. Right. And the men are often violent and horrible. And Iris herself is in trouble for A, shooting her husband, and B, uh, she's currently charged with the murder of a, another man. And so all this comes up in the novel. There's the police examination going on as well. Almost crime as well. So, I mean, it is yeah, crime. That sounds excellent. So the name of it again? Is Iris by Fiona Kelly McGregor. She's an Australian author. She's written some amazing works in the past. She's got a... A wonderful collection of essays, Buried Not Dead, which has a lot of stuff in it about queer culture and art. Great. Well, thank you very much, Joe. And we will talk to you next episode. My pleasure. Thanks for asking, Rob. Just wanted to segue. I don't know if it is the right word, uh, but I wanted to ask you what is your hope? For like to the lark being out in the water so that's coming out beginning of february 2023 mm. as well yes yes can't wait yeah. excited slightly nervous <laughs> very excited thank you well i hope it will appeal to lovers of poetic forms there are i mean the book is 99 percent forms established forms and forms that I've invented. I also hope it will be a doorway to poetic forms for people who aren't lovers of poetic form. I hope it will speak to and support LGBTIQA plus people who've experienced sexual violence and people who've lost loved ones to AIDS-related illnesses as well. I hope it'll resonate with readers who find beauty, joy and wonder in the simple things such as coffee grounds or a garden or the moon. When I was rereading the book uh, and selecting some poems for the podcast, I reread a poem, The Immortal Jellyfish, from the collection. And one hope is that readers will see that the smallest of things, the immortal jellyfish is around four millimetres. I hope readers will see that the smallest of things can have a powerful voice and that the loneliest of things, such as the 52 hertz whale, and there's a poem about the 52 hertz whale, which is a one-of-a-kind whale, that we know of can find company. Lastly, I hope people find the book hopeful and enjoyable and that they see that these poems, some of them which are about trauma, are more about transmuting that trauma than uh, not moving through that trauma. And I hope people have, have fun, have as much fun reading the poems as, as I had writing them. I think we always want our, our work to, uh, you, you may feel this as well, uh, experience this as well, we always want our work to connect and resonate with readers. Absolutely. Excellent hopes, and I'm sure it will do all of that and more. And, yeah, I think it's such a brilliant contribution. I can't wait to see it out there in the world, connecting to its readers. Yeah, like I say, for me, it's one that I'll continually dip in and out of the rest of my life. So, yeah. Thank um, you. That, no, that, really, no, that really means a lot. Thanks, Rob. No. Absolutely. No, I think it's a wonderful thing. So a question we ask all our guests is a writing question, mm -hmm. um, which is around any advice or top tips for aspiring writers and poets. Sure. Look, this first bit of advice has probably been mentioned again and again and again, but I'm going to mention it again, and that is read, 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 read. It's vital. If, if you 
want to be a writer, I don't believe you can be a writer without reading and without reading a lot more than you actually write and reading a variety, reading poetry, fiction, nonfiction. I think that's uh, vital. I, I think also allowing yourself to daydream to be curious and to be adventurous, really important, not only in your personal life, but also in your writing. Walking is extraordinary. Uh, like Virginia Woolf, I like to have space to spread my mind out in. And the chemical reactions that happen when we walk, uh, I mean, sometimes I can even walk from my desk to the kitchen to get a banana and, and the word that I've been, you know, trying to find for the last, you know, for, for a half hour will just fall fall into my head as if from nowhere so uh but I, I i i try to walk every day and uh i find that's you know it sort of switches off my conscious mind and allows that subconscious creative to really come through write a lot write what you want to write pay no attention to fads know that your work will reach its readers and be patient with that accept rejection. It's a huge part of this craft. There's a lot more rejection than there is acceptance. I don't really like the, the language we use around writing, acceptance and rejection. And I actually talk with friends about, you know, that language as well. If we're talking about, well, not only poetry, any form, break the rules and make up your own rules. You know, a memoir doesn't have to be written yeah. in one particular way. And we're seeing many more hybrid forms of writing. And, and, you know, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Be generous, share others' work with friends and family and online and share your own work also. You know, I think there's a, a wonderful balance there of sharing others' work as well as your own. And, you know, be receptive to feedback about your work and try to develop a, a thick skin. I, I don't think we can always have a thick skin, uh, but I think it's, a healthy thing to try to aim for. Some other things that I think are really helpful are to be a part of the writing community and ways of doing it are joining writers groups, joining writers centres, going to readings and volunteering at festivals, volunteering as uh, as readers for journals, you know, as fiction or poetry readers, and also finally connect with writers online. There are really wonderful communities. There are really wonderful people and writers such as yourself who, uh, you know, I I've admired for a long time and who really support the community by doing podcasts such as this, but not only, not only this, but also but just uh, through connecting with people and, and supporting each other's work. And uh, I see a lot of that in Australian and international writing. Also establishing, you know, if it's, if people feel COVID safe doing so, connecting in person as well. That is fantastic. And thank you, Stu, for all your uh friendship online uh it's been a couple of years now and absolutely everything you say there and for emerging writers um yeah building that community because it's going to be there to support you in good times and bad um i think is so important and thank you for your masterclass. uh <laughs> this has been fantastic absolutely I've learned so much, and I think thank you for being so generous with your knowledge and advice. Um, oh, well, thank you, Rob. I mean, it's it's my first masterclass, actually. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, uh, I I hope I hope listeners will be able to get at least one thing from it anyway. <laughs> oh, more than one thing. No, it's brilliant, and to to hear hear you read your own work as well is truly special. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
Now, on the show, we have a shout-out question. Uh, mm-hmm. So, firstly, how can listeners connect with you on socials? Uh, do you have any book events you wanted to mention um, with your book coming out? Uh, I'll put these up on show notes. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I also have a website, uh, stuartabarnes.com. There will be events for Like to the Lark uh, this year. I'm planning one in one in Brisbane, one in Sydney, and one in Melbourne. And I would love to get over to Perth, where Upswell Publishing is based, and be able to have a launch with Terry Ann White. That would be brilliant. Fantastic. So we, so if, if uh, listeners keep an eye on your website and on your socials, they'll be able to see when you're coming. And yeah, definitely, definitely. Right. Nothing, nothing in place at the moment regarding yep. dates. Yeah, um, sure. Try, trying to sort those out. At the, at the moment excellent and would you like to shout out any lgbtiqa plus artists books shows organizations social media accounts i would thank you so i'll start with some writers yeah uh, so mostly poets although some of these poets write other write in other forms also uh, but benjamin dodds nigel featherstone natalie harkin alison whittaker yvette holt shastra dio gavin ewan gow Kate Lilly, Dan Hogan, Pam Brown, Ray White, Jill Jones, Andrew Sutherland, Willow Drummond, Scott Patrick Mitchell, Jared Brunstrup, Anna Jacobson, Beck Jessen, Zen Frost or Carl. Composer Nick Wales. Uh, I, I love Nick's work. Some books that I uh, would love to shout out. Uh, uh, this one came out a number of years ago. It's called Out of the Box, Contemporary Australian Gay and Lesbian Poets. It was edited by Jill Jones and Michael Farrell. It was going postal more than yes or no about the marriage equality survey and uh, poetic and non-poetic responses to that, edited by Quinn Eads and Sun Vivian. There's Growing Up Queer in Australia, edited by Benjamin Law. And most recently is 100 Queer Poems, an anthology uh, edited, by, edited by UK writers Andrew McMillan and Mary Jean Chan, which encompasses poets from around the world there are some foundations and social media accounts if there's time to yeah, mention those absolutely Please. yeah um well I'd, I'd actually love to mention two films one is the australian film the sum of us which i rewatched recently and another is the british film god's own country they're both uh beautiful films amazing love stories terrific script on instagram there's the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation, uh, Mars, which is Men Affected by Rape and Sexual Abuse Australia, which isn't specifically for queer men, but it's it's made abundantly clear that that is a is a resource for uh, for gay and bi men. There's the AIDS Memorial, uh, which every day posts a photograph and uh, a story of somebody who died of AIDS related illnesses. Uh, I think it's still it's so important that we yeah. uh, remember those people and those voices. There's queer stories, uh, books and broth, and there's some bookstores, uh, Hares and Hyenas yeah. in Melbourne, the bookshop Darlinghurst, and uh, Avid Reader Bookshop in Brisbane, which isn't specifically a queer bookstore, but which you know has had queer um, writers and staff working there, and is you know get, really gets behind and supports LGBTIQA writers. Fantastic. I think it's one of the best shout-out question responses we've had so far. So, awesome. no, that's it, that's wonderful. Thank you. And and as I mentioned, we'll have 
all of those um, and links in our show notes for people to discover. So thank you, Stu. Thank you. Thanks. And our closing question for you, Stuart Barnes, is what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus communities? Sure. Thanks, Rob. I hope these communities can be much kinder to each other. And I hope that non-LGBTIQA plus communities can be kinder to them. I think I'm a realist. I think some people will always cling to repugnant doctrines. Um, but my very strong hope very, very strong hope is is that LGBTIQA plus people can leave and love without fear of violence and or worse. I don't believe in any God, but I do pray that that can and will change. Beautiful. Thank yeah. you very, very much, Thank Stuart you. Barnes, yeah. for being on the podcast. And Stu's book, uh, Like to the Lark, is published by Upswell and out February 2023. Thanks again, Stu. Thank you, Rob. It's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art and rwrmcdonald.com for links, reviews and the interview transcript. Until next time, this is QWS Podcast.